Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In Nate Silver's new film, Stinking Heaven, it's the story of a married couple, that's Jim and Lucy, they run a uh, sober living home back in the, this is, takes place in the ni- early 1990s in New Jersey, uh, and this uh, motley crew, of, well, that's a, that's a bad way to put it, but these members of the this uh, a home I eat together, bathe crew. together, work together, etc., and it is uh, a film about the relationships that they share with one another, the trials and certainly tribulations of the life they share um, it's a remarkable film. The acting is just superb all the way across the board. Um, and we're, again, uh, Nathan was here before to talk about his film Soft in the Head and has been kind enough to join us again here to talk about his new film, which opens today at the Arena Theater in Los Angeles. And that film is Stinking Heaven. Uh, Nathan, welcome back to film school. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Um, well, again, as I said in the intro, uh, what a wonderful uh, um, group of actors that you've assembled for this film. Um, we'll talk about that I- I later, but um, talk to me about the story. This is not the first time you've delved into the world of this sort of um, strata of society. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but this part of the sort of the forgotten people in society, uh, the the abused, and etc., but this is uh, again another great example of that kind of uh, kind of uh, story. But tell me where it came from, where the story came from for that. Um, it, it's odd. It started with um, when I we had the rap party for um, the film before it. On certain terms, Keith Colson and Sarah Campbell happened to be there, and Keith at the time had this like um, Manson haircut and beard, and I just I knew that I wanted him to basically run some sort of cult or commune and I wanted Dara to play his wife in it and so I talked to the two of them we started meeting up um, individually and then I knew that I wanted Hannah Gross to be in it and to come disrupt everything so those three people were the that's how it all began and then after a while it turned from a cult into this sober living house after that was, that came from many discussions with Keith and we talked about alternatives to AA and NA and so I started watching all these documentaries about um drug addiction, cults, communes from the 80s and early 90s, and I realized it had to take place then, and that it had to be shot on this um, particular camera that was used for one documentary uh, called Junkie Junior. It's a, a beautiful documentary by John Alpert, and they shot it on an Ikigami, and I just loved the, the way it looked. It has this impending sense of doom. Everything reminded me of like my childhood and this, like, this, this sense of anxiety, so I wanted... I knew that that was the right camera to capture it all on. Yeah, so that 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 camera that you're just describing is, is from the 80s itself, right? A 1980s era camera? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a broadcast camera, so it was like used in TV studios and stuff like that. And then also, um, you could use you could do it running gun, but it's quite heavy. Yeah, I bet. I bet if it was that, from that era, it was certainly a, a, a load to carry around all the time. But um, the, the cinematography is, is wonderful as well. Uh, everybody... Uh, it's a very tight shots. Very a lot of people coming in and out of frame, walking around. It's just a, I love this kind of film, and um, th- I think you just did a superb job. I, uh, it does feel like 
a little bit like for people who remember the original, the story of the Loud family, um, going back to the PBS yeah. series. It, it that it has that look. It has a bit of that feel. There's a there's a fair amount of chaos within within scenes, and I think that your ability as a director is superb in being able to. Uh, allow for that chaos to take place, but also to be able to focus the 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 viewer on what you want them to be. You you want them to be watching something, but you're hearing a lot of audio cues and things from other parts of the room and the scene. It's just a do a superb job with that. Um, who who is your cinematographer on this? Uh, his name's Adam Ginsberg. Yeah, he's great. He uh, also he shot. Um Brittany West, Tired Moonlight, which was on the festival circuit mm-hmm. this past year, and Marlon um, Seth and Stanley by Simon Gerwitz. He's just, uh, yeah, he, he's great. He edited my last movie, Actor Martinez, Excellent. which is going to premiere at Rotterdam. So he, he's, uh, he, he and I have a very similar idea of what we want for movies, and as soon, I just showed him a lot of uh, examples of what kind of movies had influenced the writing process, and from that, like we came up with a strategy of how to shoot it, and then there was no we didn't shot list or storyboard or anything like that. He was improvising along with the actors, and I really you know did what he what he did. Yeah, this and this story. I mean, this was your story, but it was co- you have a co-author that uh, John Dunphy is. I have a correct Jack Dunphy. Yeah, Jack yeah, yeah. Dunphy, I'm sorry. So I met I met Jack at uh, the New School. He was um, an undergrad there, and he uh, we were showing soft in the head, and he came up to me after it, and introduced himself and basically what happened is I was I was I, I initially I wrote all the characters with uh, the initial like the initial idea for the story came about with Dara Hannah and Keith and then I brought on Jack to help me actually turn it into um, to help plot it out because I had hit a wall and the producer Rachel told me that I she gave me a deadline for to hand her an outline so we could start walking locations and stuff like that and I just was, um, I had some sort of block. So I enlisted the help of a 21-year-old film student, and uh, he did a great job, and then his short film went to Sundance. And uh, he has another film that's going to Sundance this year for this edition, and uh, we're going to co-direct a movie in the spring. Wow. So, <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Well, what a, well that, what, how encouraging for people who are in film school uh, to uh, realize that there are ways to... to uh, in, to work with wonderfully talented people. That's a great story. Um, yeah, he just came up to me, and then uh, we started working together. It was kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was because his, uh, mostly because we, you know, we got along when we met up, but then he sent me his films, and I, I, I love them. Usually people come up to you and they'll send you stuff, and it's hard to watch a lot of the time, you know? Yeah. But this time, like, I was, I was amazed. Like, his stuff was spectacular. So I got a sense that, he, I mean, he was very, um, he was very self-deprecating when I proposed this idea of writing with me. He's like, you can fire me out if it doesn't work out after the first day, and I won't be offended, he said. Yeah, well, there you <laughs> go. But, like, it worked out. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a funny thing. Well, let, let, let's talk a little bit about the storyline itself, because, as I, I mentioned at the top, uh, it is, oh. it's, a, it's a, uh, a house run by uh, Lucy, and that, that's Dara Campbell, and also uh, by Keith Paulson's character, Jim. There are the people that run this house. I'm not, not quite sure 
with the circumstances that brought all of that to happen, except uh, that they're all dealing with substance abuse issues as well as other psychological trauma that they've been the, the house. And I, I said there's about seven or eight people in the home and you know, sort of yeah. varying stages. Eight people. Eight yeah. people. And they need dwindles. <laughs> yeah, and, and it does dwindle. I, this is a this is a, 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 a tough but fair film in relation to the story that's being told. It's not a happy film in, the, in a lot of ways, but it's, a, it's true to a story that uh, I think is closer to the reality of the, of, of the characters, w- would be in, in, uh, in, in life. And um, there's some people coming drifting in and out. Some people apparently are coming back into the home. I mean, what was, give me an idea in your mind what you were trying to achieve with sort of the ebb and flow within the house and the general character, the outline of the, of the story here. What were you trying to, what was your goal in all of that? Absolutely. Well, I wanted to, the, the house is the main character and there's no protagonist, I mean, other than the house. So when you have, you think that maybe Anne will be the protagonist because she's the one who enters the house, but then she's absorbed by it. Um, and then you, or you think that Keith or Lucy, you know, Keith's character, Jim, or there's, character Lucy would be the protagonist because they're the owners of the house but then they're they're backgrounded at times I wanted to show I mean as it's a commune or halfway house like slash halfway house I wanted to show just the all of the, the different um, I just wanted to I wanted to make it purely ensemble and I wanted to make it I wanted I wanted to foreground the house you know yeah beyond anything else well well it's hard as the characters are concerned I, I, were you? It was it a conscious effort? Were you looking for kind of archetypes within these characters? Were you? Was it? I mean, writing the characters. Did the actors have a, it seems in in your films? Like Soft in the Head is the one that comes to mind as well, where it feels like the characters are developed by the actors in many many yes. uh, many of the ways. Yeah. the characters are developed by the actors. Certainly, I mean, we I meet with them individually. We go over certain notions about the character, and then once we hit on something that works for the story or, you know, that I feel like can fit into the world, then we, I let them run with it and they write backstories for the characters and we start developing how this character would talk and move about. So it definitely, you know, it's, it's certainly the actors who come up with the characters in the end. I cast all of the younger people um, from people I know and then we got the three, like Henry Duvry who plays Kevin mm-hmm. and, uh, then Larry Novak, who plays Gene, and Eileen Turney, who plays Marie. Um, I found them through Actors Access. I knew what I was generally looking for in their characters, mm-hmm. and they're actually the first three people who came to the audition. And then the rest, I knew I wanted to cast them, and the rest of the day I had to sit through all these awful auditions, but they were great. <laughs> and uh, I initially had this idea with three actors, and then we kept adding, like Jack and I kept adding more characters to it until it was fleshed out as an outline, which had a linear plot and then we kind of so then we were able to hold auditions for the actors we needed to find and then during the shoot we were editing while we shot so we thought we were seeing what was working and what wasn't working mm, and we completely rewrote the outline while we were shooting so then the whole linear thrust of the movie shifted according to how the actors um, what the actors were doing well initially when I was watching I'm thinking that Betty uh, was going to be uh, I mean much more uh, involved in the kind of the sort of the she seemed to be emerging as the central focus of the film in, initially the first part of the film and especially when Anne shows up 
and then it changed. Yeah, I don't know if that's a you would agree with that reading of it, but it just yeah, it felt, absolutely, yeah, 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 totally. And it felt like, but it's fine because again, the uh, there's so much ebb and flow within each of these different characters and their performances. I I, I want to talk about that, but I want to first remind our listeners we're speaking with uh, Nathan Silver. He's the director and writer, along with uh, Dara Campbell and Jack Dumphy and Hannah Gross and Keith Paulson and others uh, writers as well of the film. But uh, Nathan, the director of this terrific film, Stinking Heaven, which uh, but I again going back to this acting. It's just uh, a remarkable array of people that you haven't seen. I haven't seen in film uh, very often. Now Hannah, I just recently saw um, last week. I actually saw Christmas again. Um, yeah. And I I thought she was terrific there, but she's got a much more uh, spectrum of a of a performance here. He, with with uh, stinking heaven than uh, Christmas again. She was terrific in that, but this is really gives her an opportunity. Uh, to play some very difficult scenes, uh, which she does superbly. Uh, and I would assume that Hannah is an actress who uh, seems bound for um, for a, a long and storied career. She just seems terrific in this Yeah, no, she's, she's great. Um, I worked with her on Uncertain Terms as well, right. so that's where we basically we cast her for that movie, and then I think uh, shortly after I cast her, I mean, because like, we, at the rap party for that movie, I came up with this movie, and so a few months after initially shooting that the caster again <laughs> yeah well understandably but i mean and she's great and there's but just uh, across the board i thought that eleanor Hendricks was just wonderful very memorable yeah. everybody's memorable in this film I, I i i will continue to go on and on about how wonderful this cast is but then again i want to also compliment you as a director and 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 your ability to shoot this these scenes but there's a tremendous amount of trust that that there must be passing back and forth between you and your cast when doing this, because there's some pretty raw scenes in this. These people are dealing with immense amount of pain and addictions and all kinds of other issues are going on. And for them to be able to play these things out uh, in ways that are very vulnerable in their performance. Um, I don't know what your sets are like during, during some of these scenes, but it's, that's a lot of intensity involved here. How do you, how do you maintain that sort of, uh, uh, how do you maintain a set where this kind of, uh, very raw kind of performances are taking place on a daily basis. Um, I mean, the set itself is quite uh, jovial, I think. I mean, like we had, it, a lot of us were living in the house where we shot. Um, so <clears throat> we were all, we were, a lot of us were crashing in to take New Jersey in the location manager's great aunt's house. I gotcha. She had passed away right, like shortly before the shoot, and so we were all living in our place. And... I don't know, it was, uh, we were eating together, and we would drink a lot, and it was <laughs> oddly in a sober living house, <laughs> and it was, it was oddly, uh, like, I, I had a, I think it was the most fun I've had on any shoot, just because it was, I didn't feel uh, bound to anything, I could do whatever I wanted with the movie, and I didn't fear it falling apart for whatever reason, it just, it's how I felt at the time, so I think that the set itself was, like, it was pretty merry, um, okay considering that the subject matter is pretty gnarly. But that's just, I don't, it's odd how, like, I've had miserable sets that end up uh, reading as, you know, as it seems like, oh, this must have been a great shoot, but it wasn't, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't know, I, I don't know if those two are necessarily connected, oddly. <laughs> well, well, with Soft in the Head, you, you, had, you had a very close set, a very small area that you were working in. I, I don't know yeah. what that, I don't know what that, 
atmosphere was like. But in this particular film, Stinking Heaven, it, it feels like a commune. I mean, it, it has all of the, the nuances, especially sort of in the, the performances of the people, the interaction with the people. Uh, this level of honesty that these characters are, are able to kind of convey or try to convey back and forth in one another. Um, we've seen it in other films, but I this is pretty, pretty rarefied air in terms of how I felt about the veracity of their particular performances in regard to that level of honesty. It felt like they may have been sharing some real, you know, real stories and real intimacies of their own lives when they were talking to one another. Um, so, I mean, some people were drawn on their own experiences or people that they knew, and just I think that. I don't know where a lot of the stories came from because they would bring me stories and I don't know, you know, some of them might have been personal and some of them might have been yeah. things that they'd um, seen in their own life. But um, in, when you're working like this, the, the actors certainly have to feel like they know what they're talking about and who they are, so whatever way you can get at that and allow for them to, you know, I don't know whatever research they need to do. You know, I don't, yeah. it doesn't, I have no method. It's yeah. a matter of just allowing them to bring their methods to the, the meal, yeah. or their their platters to the you know the banquet. So. <laughs> well, I I, I want to I just want to also mention I, again I could mention every single actor in here going through the this list, but I think a performance that is kind of sneaky good in this film because she plays such a kind of a low key character initially, and you see a lot more out of her as the film progresses as Dara Campbell. I thought she was yeah she, absolutely she really comes really on her performance yeah I just yeah. I. She, she's you, and I, I like the way that over the course of the film, you focus on her often when she's not speaking, and I think yeah. that I think that adds add to her that it adds to her character's story as we move through the film and we get you know we get to sort of the near the end of the film. I, I, I just thought it's just all I, I as your films go uh, as you make films, I, I see they uh, you're you're. I say improvement. That so sounds pejorative in a way. No, that, that you are no, actually but, capturing these kinds of moments and, and integrating them into the film in pretty remarkable ways. So I, I just want to <laughs> congratulate you. What well, I thank see, you. Thank yeah, you so much. yeah. I just feel I feel like as much as I I loved Soft in the Head, which I did. I just this is a film that feels even. It just feels. Like a, a filmmaker, you're really coming into your own in, in a lot of different ways. So, and sound, by the Thank way, you so much. yeah. Well, you're welcome. And your sound design, and and an interesting soundtrack. I, I don't know, you know, what what was going on with that. It's a very. It sounds very eighty-ish. Is that or what? Was, yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, we. I Paul Graham's dad, who who did the score and acted in Soundland, which is one of my favorites. Um, he and I, I basically had him compose all the music before we had anything edited so we could just so we had we already had music before we shot anything he just delivered like a whole what he called a brick of hash he said Nathan you're going to take this brick of hash and you're going to chop it up and deliver it deliver it to whatever scenes you feel necessary and so there were a few like pieces of that brick which was like 18 minutes long and went all over the place that really worked in the movie and then we developed those some more got back to him with some ideas and then he would send me ideas and we just there was like a back and forth, and it was great. So during the edit, we had <clears throat> all the music, which I hadn't done previously, and why I usually, like, even if I had a composer come on, I would usually throw out most of the score, because I need it during the edit, for whatever reason. Mm. I need to work with it. Yeah, I mean, he, I really liked the, just the demonic, weird uh, sense of 
like the sense of doom that that, yeah. that the synth score he sent us had and what it added to it. Yeah, well, it, it, al- it almost it was, it, at times would jar you out of the scene in a sense because it I wouldn't say it was incongruous. It was, but it was it was different enough to get your attention during the film, and then it would, I think yeah. it set up other parts of the film. Uh, as well, and 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 thank, and I'm going to go back to one of my favorite directors, and it's sort of a homage to to his his legacy, and that is Robert Altman. Uh, the blending of sound, you know, the sound so much has changed since Mash was kind of for me just one of my favorite movies yeah. of all time, and I love seeing people use that sort of scheme of of it, weaving together dialogue in in the ways that you were able to do in Stinking Head. Yeah, I mean, this time around, uh, we had a great. Uh, sound recorder students, my uh, my former roommate Nico. So he, uh, we had everyone loved, and um, or as many people as were yeah. we needed loved in in a given scene, so we could just during the mix we could boost some people up while keeping others low. And uh, I had never had that before because in past, like in in Thoughts in the Head, the loves didn't work, so we just used the boom, so we couldn't highlight any particular dialogue, and we had to just let it all bleed together. Um, so this was just a nice, nice experience. Um, in uncertain terms, we had lost characters too, but it wasn't as hectic or insane. Right. So it was, it was obvious who was going to be the center of attention for the scene. So kind of like that was already dictated by the way the story was going. But with this one, we could really mess around with it in post and just decide what to highlight and what to keep out of uh, any given scene. Well, I I am so grateful for your coming on today at, to to film school. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, again, the film is a uh, uh, stinking heaven. Uh, you can go to the website. Factory Twenty Five is your distributor, but you can go to stinkingheaven.com to find out more about the film. Although I had a little trouble loading it. Is there, is there a, an app? Yeah, the, the, I would uh, go to the Factory 25 website. <laughs> okay, I just wanted, I didn't, sorry, I'm not trying to scare people off going to your site, but uh, that I was trying to load it uh, today. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a little tricky, that space. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, well, well, uh, nonetheless, uh, go to Factory 25, which you can go to the filmschoolradio.com website and find out, and you can do that. You can get to it through, through that. But also, um, I just continue the great work, uh, Nathan, and I, I don't know. It sounds like you're working on a few things, so. I'm developing two movies, which are one in the spring and one in the summer, so I'm okay. kind of bogged down, and I'm also finishing a movie uh, right now, so it's a, a lot going on. <laughs> I, I know there's a lot going on with your career. I, it seems to be picking up momentum, and I, I hope for for us as film uh, viewers, as people who love cinema, that that is the case. It sounds like it is. So congratulations on on. Thank you. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully you'll find some time next uh, next uh, project to come back because I I want to continue to continue our dialogue, and I'm glad to see with your crowdsourcing. It's you you had a lot of filmmakers involved in your crowdsourcing uh, at the in the yeah. credits at the end. Charles Pokel, who was on last week, I saw uh, uh, Joel. Uh, Paul uh, Petrikas uh, was also involved. Yeah, I love that guy. Yeah, isn't he great? I yeah. loved, I loved his film. Yeah, I, I just thought it was yeah. terrific. I, I just really, uh, uh, and others. Alex uh, Ross was, uh, Alex Ross Perry was there, and good, good to see that. I guess I, I was talking to Charles about this uh, group of uh, filmmakers coming out of New York. Uh, Sean Baker, at least his first couple were were in this genre, this kind of feel to it. Ramin Balrani, yourself. It's so good to see this level of filmmaking, the quality, and and good to see kind of a nice 
core group of uh, filmmakers involved in it. Well, thank you so much. So you take care, Nathan. We'll we'll see you next time. The film is Stinking Heaven. Thank you, Nathan Silver, for coming. Absolutely. Down. All right, take care. All right, great. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.